Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night. Brought to you by the Distraction Pieces Network, the podcast network that has such a wide variety of podcasts on it. So many different things for you to go and check out, including, of course, Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces podcast, Falling Forward with Dan Lassac, and Say Why to Drugs with Dr. Susie. All three belting podcasts, not the only podcast on the network. Obviously, there's hardcore listing um, and films to be buried with as well as plenty more. What a network. What a bunch of folks doing good stuff. Make sure you go and support that. Tuesday Night Jaw is ticking along quite nicely. I mentioned last week that I've had a little bit of difficulty trying to to get guests locked down for, for the show at the minute. It's a really busy period for wrestling because we're coming off the summer period where everyone's working a million times. Now everyone's transitioning into doing slightly bigger shows in terms of scope and scale all over the world. So it's been a little bit difficult to nail someone down to come on as a guest. I'm still endeavouring, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, to try and get some more people on. But in the meantime, I was really happy with how last week's episode came out. So for now... I'm going to continue in that vein. If you've not listened to last week's episode, it was the first edition of Tuesday Night Jaws, a favourite matches. It was about Dean Ambrose versus William Regal from FCW. So the concept or the idea behind this concept for these shows is I talk about one of my favourite matches in wrestling history. The only sort of restriction on it is that I want to make sure that match is available for you guys to watch. Whether it's via New Japan World... WWE Network, YouTube, or something like that, because obviously I want you to listen to this and then get super excited and go and seek out a match. So we are going to be doing another TNJ's favorite matches this week. Before I get into the episode, though, just want a quick reminder that on October the 13th, uh, I don't know why I said it like that, but there you go. It sounded jazzy. Uh, straight after the Progress show in Manchester at the O2 Ritz, we are at Fab Cafe for a live edition of Tuesday Night Jaw featuring myself and Jim Smallman. I have now come up with a concept for the show. 
So, seeing as we are in Manchester, it's Jim's last Manchester Progress show, we are going to be putting together our very own Manchester Celebrity Deathmatch. So, it is ba- loosely based on the concept of the MTV show, uh, Celebrity Deathmatch, classic, featuring Stone Cold Steve Austin back in the day, as well as a wide variety of celebrities obviously including the name um so me and jim are going to be picking three matches they're going to have a stipulation like any normal death match would and the rules are that we have to pick pick either a manchester born or based or sort of associated wrestler and or slash a person from manchester so uh, it could be pretty much anyone. They can also be fictional characters. So, if, say for instance, we wanted to put Norris from Coronation Street in a death match. We can do that. So we're going to pick three matches each, and then the lovely audience get to choose one of their Mancunian. I was going to say Mancunian heroes. <laughs> uh, one of their favourite Mancunians to put into a probably. I'm going to go with like fifteen or twenty hardcore battle royale um which which will come up with a stipulation as well we'll see what the winner gets of that so we're going to get you guys involved uh with putting together our dream manchester celebrity death match show it's not going to happen it's all fictional and it's all just a laugh we're not going to book norris from coronation street in a death match though that would be amazing i'm looking at you joey janella make it happen um so that's what's what we're going to be be doing uh jim hasn't got a clue that that's what we're doing it's going to be really funny when he hears this and goes oh that's going to be a load of fun uh so make sure you come along to that tickets are available now uh my pinned tweet on twitter is the link to the tickets so my twitter is m richards host top of that is the link for the tickets it starts about 8 8 directly after the progress show in manchester so if you're coming along to that pop along it'll be a good laugh tickets aren't that expensive at all so you know it's a bit of a night out in manchester and the lovely people from fab cafe are putting us up and we're really really grateful and thankful for that so that's what's going down on october the 13th uh, like i said you can find me on twitter at m richards host uh, let me know what you think of this episode um hopefully it's a uh, it's a not improvement because that sounds harsh. A a a nice line of in progress from last week's episode. Hopefully the editing, hopefully the format and the execution is a little bit slicker than it was last time. So yeah, if you want to let me know what you think of this episode, I'm at M Richards host on Twitter. Uh, but in the meantime, that's it. That's all the rambling done for this week's episode. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea, and enjoy this week's. Tuesday Night Jaws favorite match. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In 2002, the landscape of WWE was, should we say, slightly different to what it is now. A weird, almost transitional period following the WCW-ECW invasion storyline that I think most people can agree on wasn't executed to the best that it could have been. There was really high expectations of a lot of talent coming in and where they would feature in a WWE product afterwards that I feel that we felt a little bit left down. But the one thing that did come out of that invasion angle was a, a plethora of new talent to be used to freshen up the WWE shows. And of course, the, out of the invasion came the brand split between Raw and SmackDown. And in 2002, SmackDown was very much still the B-show, as you could still argue today that it's considered the B-show. But the reputation that SmackDown would get as being the quote-unquote B-show, but the work rate show would really start to take form in 2002. With the likes of the talent of Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero jumping from the Raw show to the SmackDown, matched with Brock Lesnar facing off against the likes of The Rock and, yes, can you believe it, Hulk Hogan, SmackDown started to garner a little bit of attention and more eyes on it. And it was really the opportunity given to new talent that started to shape what SmackDown was, from cruiserweights like Shannon Moore and The Hurricane being seen as more than just comedy wrestlers to the likes of Edge be taken seriously as a singles wrestler and even a ruthless aggression filled John Cena bursting on the scene squaring off against the likes of Kurt Angle there really seemed to be a new feel to this Smackdown show and as Smackdown started to establish itself as a, a different sort of brand in the summer of 2002 the debut of a man that wasn't actually involved in the WCW ECW invasion 
finally made his debut. That is none other than Rey Mysterio Jr. Now, what's interesting to me at this point was I was still pretty new to wrestling. I started watching wrestling probably 1998, 1999, and I actually predominantly watched a lot of WCW. But the thing is that I'd never seen Rey Mysterio other than a filthy animal with the horns on his head and teaming with Billy Kidman and Conan. So this repackage of sorts of Rey Mysterio and re-debut really caught my attention. The vignettes leading up to it showed all these high-flying, daring moves that really caught on in WCW. And I'd heard a lot of buzz about the WCW Cruiserweights. That mixed with the fact that I'd seen the likes of Perry Sat and Dean Malenko, Benoit and Guerrero and seeing how their transition really worked. I was actually really excited to see Rey Mysterio, especially with him donning the mask. I think the general feeling as well of, of Rey Mysterio coming in was that there was going to be a, a resurgence in cruiserweight wrestling. As I mentioned, people like Shannon Moore and the Hurricane were there, even the likes of Tajiri, that, that everyone sort of felt that they were underutilized and in comes one of arguably the most notorious cruiserweights of all time to to reinvigorate a division that was floundering. And I remember many, many, many years ago, Court Bauer talking about how WWE were really rethinking their strategy in terms of the, the, cruise, the cruiserweight division and how they had this want to start to expand globally and bring in loads of talent, including Bauer mentioning Milano Collection AT being into, taken into consideration. Now, I don't know about the embellishment of that story and how true it is, but it did feel that WWE was starting to broaden their horizons. Don't forget, this is 2002, and really before the WCW-ECW invasion, the acknowledgement of anything outside of their own universe was slim to none. And in comes this guy who's been treated as the best cruiserweight of all time and given a height package despite his short stature and lesser weight. I mean, let's not forget that WCW was where the quote-unquote big boys played and WWE always loved to put through their collegiate athletes. They were always at least 6'3 and 200 pounds. And in comes this tiny little man with such a big hype train behind him. And in his debut match in July, he faced off against someone who he was very familiar with in the form of Chavo Guerrero Jr., After a decent showing against Chavo Guerrero, it was another singles match with Tajiri started to help establish Rey Mysterio as a member of the SmackDown roster. But it wasn't until his third matchup on a TV taping where Rey would really start to be a puzzle piece in a larger puzzle that was SmackDown to come. I mentioned that Benoit and Guerrero had made the jump from Raw not that long before this time period, and after Benoit tapped out The Rock with a crippler crossface due to the interference of Brock Lesnar, Benoit and Guerrero were already positioned quite high up in the pecking order that was SmackDown. And on this edition of SmackDown, John Cena had a singles match with Kurt Angle, leading to Chris Benoit to get involved, as well as Eddie Guerrero, Edge, and of course, Rey Mysterio. A backstage promo... And a few minutes later, we had a six-man tag as Edge, Cena and Ray faced Benoit, Eddie and Angle. And this would be the match 
that would be the catalyst to lead to the singles match that would take place on SummerSlam 2002. Talking of backstage kits, this is, of course, the infamous pull-ups outtake where Rey Mysterio broke the shelf that he was doing the pull-ups on, uh, leading to John Cena to proclaim, holy moly, if you've never seen the clip, Matthew, you're welcome. Here's some free pro- promotion. Type in Botchamania, Rey Mysterio pull-ups, and enjoy. But it was during the match that when the match started to amp up and break down, Rey Mysterio had hit the West Coast pop on Kurt Angle, leading to a clean victory over one of the most high-profile WWE wrestlers of the time. After the result, Angle would claim that he was robbed, and in the next week's edition of SmackDown, he would take his revenge during a tag team match with Edge and Rey facing off against Eddie and Chavo Guerrero. Now, interesting point about this match is that Edge and Rey would start to be a team in future. And of course, Los Guerreros would really start to hit their stride on SmackDown. This match, almost feeling at the time a little bit jarring as Eddie was still aligned with Benoit, but this was really a preview of what SmackDown would become. As the match broke down, Kurt Angle attacking Rey Mysterio after a backstage altercation led to Kurt Angle claiming that Rey Mysterio was the illegal man in the match and if Rey then challenging Angle to a singles match at SummerSlam to settle the score. Now, you know, last week I spent so much time talking about the intricacies and the depth and the build-up of this Regal and Ambrose match. This match is pretty much thrown together in two or three weeks, and and if you are a fan of that peak SmackDown era of sort of 2003, you'll get to know how... SmackDown used to sort of develop these feuds. There'd always be these shotgun run-ins where there'd be chaos and you'd turn around and someone else would be hitting a big move and then here comes another character to hit another big move and it kind of kept things going in motion but it would obviously lead to a lack of depth of, of character development but I think, but as it stands, the way this match was set up and what it would lead to in the future, I think outweighs the let's be honest, slightly thrown together matchmaking of the situation. The one thing this did do was immediately elevate Rey Mysterio, though. A a pinfall victory over Chavo and Tajiri is one thing, but a clean pinfall victory, albeit slightly disputable given the legality of the pinfall, over someone like Kurt Angle really helped establish Rey in the eyes of many of, of the WWE audience, including myself, as a, a main player. Maybe not a main event player, but a main player. Not many people come in and beat Angle clean. I mean, obviously Cena was having this mini feud with Angle, but it wasn't really the John Cena that we now know as, as he went away and became the Vanilla Ice tribute act that would then morph into the John Cena that we know today. But this is why it's a very interesting point in SmackDown history, because... This is the introduction to a lot of main players. Now, I remember when I absolutely adored SmackDown. It was really that SmackDown tag team division. The matches between Los Guerreros, Edge and Ray, Angle and Benoit, and even later on, the world's greatest tag team of Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas. That mixed with that combination of the different cruiserweights and then people like Brock and Rock at the top of the card really started to make SmackDown a must watch show and this match this feud was really the point in history where all of that started now the interesting thing about this match 
for me personally is this isn't even my favorite Rey Mysterio match. This isn't even my favorite Kurt Angle match. I mean, if you're going to talk about Rey Mysterio matches that have stayed with me for a long period of time, I, I, I think back to the Eddie Guerrero Rey Mysterio mask versus title match in WCW, which is a work of art and I implore you to go and watch it. And there's so many Kurt Angle matches from that WWE run that I really think we could do a top 10 podcast on uh, alone. But but the thing with this match is that this was the opening contest of a major WWE pay-per-view. And it was peculiar in the way that it was executed because it was two things. Because it was both a high-profile singles match and what's usually affectionately known as a sprint, a short match that goes at a fast pace but really revs up the action and keeps you engrossed. Now, Again, I mentioned that this isn't my favourite Rey Mysterio match. This isn't my favourite Kurt Angle match. And it's probably to be disputed if it's the best opening match of a pay-per-view. A, a match that I can always think of as an opening contest that's always really well-loved is Owen Hart versus Bret Hart from WrestleMania 10. And if you're talking about sprint matches, another Owen Hart match comes to mind in that same year, which is Owen Hart versus 1-2-3 Kid. Uh, the King of the Ring 1994, a story that was told that Kid got injured during the tournament and the eventual winner, Owen Hart, managed to eke out a, I think, about six to seven minute match with someone who was always considered an underdog but make it a genuinely fantastic contest. And it was that fast pace and that underdog spirit of Rey Mysterio that really set up not only the start of this match but the start of the pay-per-view in general. As you watch the match, the chemistry is, is so obvious between Angle and Ray. The speed they work, the transitions, everything just seems to be perfect, as was usually the case when Kurt Angle wrestled someone that he clearly saw as equal footing in terms of athletic competition. And we'd obviously go on to see incredible matchups, including both. But for me, this is the match that makes me go, okay, you want to see how good SmackDown was? This is where we start. But this is the match that really started to make WWE, or maybe more accurately, SmackDown start to feel a little bit different. No one really expected pay-per-views to start in that manner and now you're kind of used to or programmed especially with things like NXT takeovers to have one of the best matches one of the most exciting matches first that usually go a little bit longer than what we think maybe on an independent level a opening match should again it's not reinventing the wheel it's not necessarily revolutionary but it was a breath of fresh air at a time where WWE really needed shaking up now, this wasn't the start of a long-term feud or a big payoff at the end, but it was a, a great way to establish Rey Mysterio on the SmackDown roster. Now, Rey would go on to have Cruiserweight title runs and Tag Team Championship runs in the matches that I mentioned earlier with the likes of the world's greatest tag team and Los Guerreros. But he would have to wait, really, to become the main player that he would become 
for a period of time in WWE. Obviously, at WrestleMania 22 in 2006, he'd become the world champion for the first time, winning a triple threat between Randy Orton and none other than Kurt Angle. During the four years between SummerSlam 2002 and WrestleMania 22, there was Cruiserweight title wins and tag team title wins, as well as the, well, quite frankly, now infamous feud with Eddie Guerrero over the custody of his young son, Dominic. Oh! Hola, <laughs> Ray! ¿Qué pasó? What's up, Holmes? Hey, you like my new T-shirt? Check it out! I'm your puppy! I'm your daddy! Now that's really the feud that started Ray's ascent up the ladder, excuse the pun, towards becoming more of a main threat. I mean, around that time, he would have number one contenders matches for the WWE Championship on SmackDown. But obviously, the tragedy that would happen involving Guerrero really made that win at WrestleMania 22 all that little bit more special. As for Angle, well, I don't really feel like I need to dive too deeply into the career of Kurt Angle because it really speaks for itself. And he went from so many different gears through this tenure in WWE, from the comedy wrestler to the super serious grappler to the head of Team Angle and world champion. And even in his later days in WWE, the ass-kicking, gumshield-wearing ECW roster member. But what's really nice is now looking back, these cast of characters that helped build SmackDown as a show from the likes of Angle, Eddie, Cena, Ray, really helped cement SmackDown as the show where if you were on that brand, you had to have your working boots on. Even something that's still to this day considered. Obviously, there's several interviews involving several wrestlers but the one that always stands out to me was how much Sasha Banks wanted to be on Smackdown because her hero Eddie Guerrero was the guy on that brand and this is a lineage and a, and a culture that really started in 2002 with such a with such a fantastic group of talent that were really underutilized now it's quite hard to compare what Smackdown was in 2002/2003 to the current WWE product but it's probably closer to what NXT is now in terms of the emphasis being on in-ring talent and establishing new exciting young talent rather than established stars and I really think this match at SummerSlam 2002 helped establish a little bit of a culture change in WWE because of it okay you had a guy that was considered a cruiserweight for most of his career, going against a guy who was an Olympic gold medal and a legitimate heavyweight. That clash of styles, though, really caught the attention of a younger, different audience that I really feel like we're still feeling the ripples of that effect to this day. Now, if you're at a loss for something to watch in terms of wrestling this week, and to be quite frankly honest, I don't think anyone is at this point, but 
I really encourage you to go back and watch SmackDown at the end of 2002 going into 2003 because there's some absolute gems in there. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not perfect. Far from it. In fact, it kind of reminds me of the old WCW Nitros in the sense that you kind of have to sit through a few hours of absolute garbage to find those gems, but they are genuinely in there and usually involve the talents of Rey Mysterio and Kurt Angle. So this week's Tuesday Night Jaws favourite match from myself is none other than Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle at SummerSlam 2002. So there you go, just another little quick episode about one of my favourite matches of all time. Again, I don't really want to talk too much about what actually happens in the match because I want you to get excited to go and check out that match. Next time round, like I said, I'm hopefully going to get some more guests coming up in the future as well as us doing live podcast on October the 13th with Jim Smallman. But in terms of this format, I don't think it's going to go away. I do feel like it needs ironing out of some of the kinks, but I'm really genuinely quite happy with how last week's episode came out and how this episode came out as well. So, What I'm going to say to you is that if you listened this long, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, I'm going to do some more indie matches going forward. The reason I've steered away from them at the minute is finding ones that are available for free or available to watch (coughs) legally on the internet because I want you to go and check them out and have it as easily accessible to you. So if you've got some suggestions for some favorite matches to look at, Obviously, I'm going to lean towards the ones that I quite like. Uh, Find me a tweet at mrichardshost. Let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know what match you want to cover in the future. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to Tuesday Night Chore, and I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.